Well, welcome to what is our second week in our series on um, being known. In this series, we're going to be looking at what it means to be known by God, about how we are wonderfully and beautifully made, how we are known by our creator of the universe. As individuals and as people, we are connected with one another. We're relational beings. We, we like to be in relationship with one another. Um, we, we love to be known by another person on a deep and meaningful level. And we like to know other people in meaningful and real ways. That creates connection for us. And we love to have connection. And it's important for us in, in what is now our, you know, in, in New South Wales, a transition phase. Have you noticed that as you walk around the, the streets, we're not sure whether we, we are allowed to interact with people, you know? I, I've, no, I've noticed as I've walked along sometimes, people will walk around you rather than what they used to do is like, you know, it'd be like a flyby, they're straight by, but now they go, oh, I've, I, I'm not sure whether you're, you're going to infect me or what, you know. We're, we're actually really concerned still about how we connect with one another. We've actually got this whole weight of the time that we've spent in lockdown, the time we've been without uh, vaccines and the time, and it's created in a, a, a way that has made us think that we are, we're wary of our connections, we're wary of one another, and it's time that we kind of reclaim that for ourselves. God gives us connections. And if we live that out, that's important for us. The good news is that God, our all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-creating God, knows us more deeply than anyone, anyone. And as we explored last week in, in Psalm 139, it gives us a clear picture of at least two things that talk to us, that we should keep close to us. But God's comprehension and understanding of all things is, is beyond our limits and has no limits. He knows us. He sees us. He sees all aspects of our lives, for better and for worse. And this all-knowing, all-seeing God that we have, the God of the universe, says to us that we are wonderful. And I, and, and I loved because after the service last week, Kerry came up to me and said, you are wonderful. And, I, and it was just one of those little moments that just went, actually, it really triggered in me because it goes, we're just not used to hearing those words for us. We're not used to hearing those kind of affirmations that you are, you're positive and you're, you're, you're worthy and you're worth more than, than you think you are. And so when somebody says it, we go, why are you saying that? What's going on? And we need to break that down. We need to let that sink into us. That God thinks you are wonderful, each and every one of us. So today we're going to, you know, dive a little bit deeper. We're going to seek a little bit more understanding about living out of being known by God. And, and, and being known by God brings change to our lives. In Australia and 
also around the world, but I'll talk about Australian stats for a moment. I'm going on a statistic kind of vibe at the moment in the last, you know, last number of sermons. Um, but loneliness. Loneliness is actually one of the big issues in Australia. Um, and it's an increasing problem. And, and with lockdowns and the closing of borders, it means that we've had to find other ways to try to connect with people, but our interactions with people are not what they used to be. In Australia, let me, here's some stats for you. In Australia, one in four adults say that they are lonely. So one in four adults say they are lonely. If we dive a bit deeper, uh, one in two adults feel lonely at least one day a week. One in two adults feel lonely at least one day a week. One in four adults actually feel lonely three or more days a week. That's, a, that's an amazing thing to actually start to think about it. And, and those who are in the young adult category and those who are in our older adult category, so the younger and the older, over 65, actually feel more alone than the rest of us. And, and, and this comes because of, of social anxiety, that we're not quite sure how to connect and relate to one another in the wider world. And that stops us and brings us back and draws us away so we don't reach out and we don't interact with people and therefore loneliness increases. See, being lonely and being disconnected is not the way that we were made to live. And as I said last week, we're being made for more than this relational disconnection that we have. We are made for more than a relational disconnection that our world gives us. Let's think about this for a moment, uh, about how we... How we place certain people, we place certain things up and above other things. And we talk about idolising. We idolise people in the world. We idolise certain things. And, and, and let me just give you two examples of, of, of people that we idolise. You know, it, it might be the football star. Whatever code of football you want, whether it's actually played with your feet or whether you played with your hands, can never actually truly understand why you call something that you hold the ball in your hands, football. But there it is. <laughs> but it may be that you've got to you, you idolise somebody that plays sport, or you might idolise somebody that um, is a, is a social media vlogger of their life, and and you and you follow along with what they do in their life and their, how they live it. You know. Do we have a connection with those people that we idolise? Some would say, yes, they do have a connection. They follow them on social media. They, they, they have all of their stats. They know what their life has been doing. You know, they've, they've been able to watch everything that's gone in their life. But the question is, do they have a connection? Is there actually a connection with them? Some would say, yes, they do have a connection. But others, no, they don't. And let me actually say, you actually don't really have a connection. Yeah, some people might actually have a real connection. They may be friends, have a personal connection with that person. But 
the majority of people that idolise a person or an individual doesn't have a connection with them. They have a maybe a one-way connection. They think they know the person, but the, they, that person that they're idolising doesn't know them at all. I want to share with you a, a reading from the Bible from the New Testament from one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul to the church of Galatia. It's Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 8 and 9, and it says this. Before you Gentiles, so here's Paul speaking to the church here, to the, the believers that weren't Jewish, but the Gentile believers here. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and use the spiritual principles of this world? See, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Galatia and he's showing his concern for the members of this church when he writes these verses. See, in the time that Paul was writing these verses and this letter to the church, um, people would actually have in their home um, statues, idols, you know, and this is why we call it idolization. You know, they'd have a little physical symbol of of the god that they thought that was there for them, and they'd have them. In, they'd be the house idol, the house um, god, and the family god, and they'd work within that. It might be because of the area that they had worked in previously. If we remember back to the the, the message series seven seven message to the church in found in Revelations. One of the things that kept on coming back and back again was to let go of the worship of the idols and the temple worship that had been in that area and worship the one true God. And so what we're also seeing here is Paul also telling us that these idols, these places where you might go and worship, might go to the temple, do things because that that's what's needed to do to, you know, get better crops or live a better life or all these kind of things, but Paul's saying that this is a one-way relationship. You don't follow false gods. You don't follow the idols. You don't serve them. They actually don't care about you. In fact, they actually enslave you with the practices that require you to do things. Our relationship with God frees us, not enslaves us. See, idolatry is a one-way relationship. Not that you can call it actually a relationship, but it is a one-way relationship because relationships are based on the fact that there are two interactions. And idolising something is not a relationship. It is a one-way transaction. You want to see them, they don't know you. Our God wants to know you and knows you. So let's not settle in our world today for a one-way relationship with today's idols. Let us strive for so much more than that. Because we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Let's, let's have this. We've placed our trust in Jesus Christ. And that trust has brought back that relationship with our God. That what Jesus has done has created that bridge for us to have that true relationship. As it says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, but now that you know God or rather are known by God. Notice this, now that we are known by God, 
what do we do when we're known by God? We turn back to God. We reestablish our connection. Uh, we need to bring that back for us. We need to commit or recommit our lives to actually this, this real relationship with the creator of the cosmos, with our God. This relationship with God is powerful. It is life-changing. And it comes with many promises. And one of the promises that I love that, that speaks powerfully to me, and I hope it speaks powerfully to you, and speaks as of a promise that we, that we can trust in, comes from, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. And, and this is, you know, in the Old Testament. It's one of the first books of the Bible. And it, it's, it's, it's about God's promise to be with the people. And it says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before, before them. For the Lord, your God, will personally go ahead of you and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. Take this promise to you. God will neither fail you nor abandon you. God is with you. God knows you and God won't fail you. God won't abandon you. Some of us may think that with what we've done within our life, the choices that we've made, the things that we've done, how could God love us? How could God not abandon us? How could God not fail us because of what we've done? Some of us have really low self-esteem and, and, and this has an overflow effect on how we see God's love for us. Interesting, you know how I said right at the beginning that Kerry came up and said, you're wonderful. My self-esteem said, how could somebody say that to me? You know, because when we think about ourselves as not being wonderful, when we hear the messages of the world that says, you've got to buy this, you've got to do this to measure up, you've got to have this, you've got to look this way, you've got to be this, you've got to be thin, you've got to be whatever, you've got to be smart, you've got to have, you know... When we start hearing all these external factors that tell us that we're not good enough, we're not, we don't measure up, then when somebody truly does say it, we don't hear it. We go, oh, laugh it off, and that's a bit silly. But, we, you know, and it's the same for when God is saying that to us. Do we truly believe that God is with us, that God is for us, that God thinks that we're wonderful, we're marvellous, that we're beautifully made? Does God, do you think that God has the best for you? And let me give you this. God has the best for you. God has given you the best. God redeems this relationship that we have. In Romans 5, this is Paul speaking to the Roman church yet again. Um, in Romans 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 8, and it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So God even sees us, even when we have done all of the wrong things, all of the stuff that's in front of us. God sees that, yet still sent Jesus Christ to us and still gave us new life and gave us life in abundance, even though we've done this. So the Apostle Paul is reminding the church in Rome of the great love of God, of God that knows us, a God that knows all that we've done, 
We're deeply known by God, the good, the bad, sometimes ugly, but God still loves us. God corrects this relationship, this disconnected relationship that we have through Christ, through Jesus Christ and what he's done. See, the Apostle Paul knows this life-changing relationship of being known by God. Paul, Paul experienced being known by God so deeply that, that it changed him, completely changed him. Paul used to be called Saul. And I, I, love, I love name changes in the Bible because it often signifies massive radical change in the person's life. Paul used to be called Saul, and Saul was a really devout Jew uh, that was, that was, you know, so so fixated on thinking that the people of the way, which is the the name that was given to the believers in Jesus Christ in the first part of the church, they followed the way of Jesus Christ. That he wanted to persecute them, he wanted to kill them, he wanted to get rid of them, because it was tainting what he thought was true and right. So Paul has this experience, a Damascus Road experience. Actually, let me rephrase that. Saul has this Damascus Road experience. And, you know, it's a Damascus Road experience is when, when we are confronted with something and confronts us to challenge and change who we are. It calls us to be different. This Damascus Road experience of Saul who becomes Paul, God sees him. God sees deep into his heart or what's in his heart or what his motives are, and God calls Saul out for that. That God doesn't just call him out and say, you're wrong. He also gives him a purpose. So let's just jump into to Acts, into chapter 9, verse 13, and we'll read a little short section of that, 13 to 16, which is the where, where God has spoken to one of the believers in Damascus, Ananias, and he's actually saying, you need to go and place your hands on and heal Saul. He's waiting for you. He's praying right now. He wants, you know, he, he wants, he's had this experience of, of my presence, true experience of my presence, and his life has changed, and he needs to do something about it. So, Acts 9, verse 13, it says, But the Lord exclaimed to Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He is authorised by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. That's upon Jesus' name. But the Lord said, Go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to, the, to kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul, who turns into Saul, not only in his name, but a complete outlook change in his life, this is Paul, would go on to become one of the, one of the most prolific missionaries the world's ever known. He established countless churches, and he would, he would connect with those churches and keep in contact with them with the letters that he would write to them to help correct them, drive them, encourage them, you know, help them be who they needed to be. And these are the letters that we've just read 
about God knowing you. See, this letter to the church in Galatia that Paul wrote, that we've heard just before, speaks deeply out of an experience that Paul understood that God knew him deeply, knew all of the deep underlying stuff inside of him and also the actions that he did. And yet God loved him, God changed him, and God gave him a new purpose. You know, Galatians 4, chapter 9, says this, so now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you. Paul understood that as he came to know God, to actually understand God's heart for the people, to understand God's heart for the church, to understand God's heart for the world, to understand how all of eternity is is wrapped up into this relationship that we have with our creator, redeemer, sustainer with God, as Paul knew more, he started to realise that God knew him completely. And even though God knew him completely, God chose him to be an integral part of establishing the church here on earth. God knew Saul at his worst, but he didn't persecute Saul, even though Saul was persecuting the church and the people. He didn't destroy Saul, even though he was trying to destroy the early church with terrible acts of violence and hatred and tolerance. God knew there was more to Saul and God challenged him about his own behaviour, his own intolerance, his own way of thinking. God challenged him and changed him. But God also called him to live out as being known by God, as the one who sees him and knows him. But God did actually have to get his attention first. So Saul who turns into Paul is a story of God's eternal understanding, of God's eternal comprehension. It's a story about about this man who, who is known, known by God and loved by God, but who helped change the world and turned it upside down with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. So in our lives we have many seasons. There are going to be times when we feel more connected, when we understand that the presence of God's with us, then we really feel that we are known by God. And there are times when we don't, when we feel that nobody knows us and that we are drifting and and floating out. Here's the thing. During all of those seasons, all those ups ups and downs, that connection, disconnection that we'll have, when we often feel a little less connection, sometimes it can be due to our lack of effort that we give. Sometimes it can be due to our lack of engagement that we have. But at other times it can simply just be a, a symptom of what is an extremely difficult and trying time that we're living in. And for many of us that feel disconnected at the moment, it's often a symbol and a symptom of the trying and difficult time that we live in. The key here is to remember and always and write it for yourselves. If you want to write this down for yourself and put it in your mirror in the, in the bathroom as you wake up, 
that you are wonderfully and beautifully made, that God knows you and loves you. Put that on your mirror so when you see it, when you wake up, when you're there, those words speak truth into your life and you can live that out. God has so much more for you. God has, God has redeemed you. He's reconciled you. He's brought you back through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And God knows you and God loves you. And if God knows how to get the best out of somebody like Saul who was persecuting the church and trying to kill people over it, how much more is God going to know you and help you in your life, your life change because you are known by God. So let's just pray. Loving God, we just ask in this moment that if we're feeling disconnected, if we're feeling far from you, may you provide that connection again. May you reestablish. May, if you have to give us a Damascus Road experience to reset us, restart us so we can see who you are, please, Lord, do that. But, Lord, help us to have our eyes open to see you. Help us to have our eyes open to understand who you are, God. Help us have our eyes open to know the direction that we should be heading. Lord, you know us. You love us. Help us to understand that for ourselves. Help us to realise that we are not alone. Even when we feel the most lonely, you are there with us. Help us to turn to you in those times. Just come to you in prayer. Or just come to you in reading your word. Your Holy Spirit may flow upon us. Oh Lord God, we just pray that you will lead us and guide us in all the days of our lives. Amen.